Welcome to the Immigrant Squared podcast. My name is Anna. I was born in one of the former Soviet republics, raised in a small yet very unique country in the Middle East, and have been living in the U.S. for almost 20 years. I've always been curious about different languages, cuisines, music, and traditions. I also always had a desire to help people become their best self. I invite you to join me on an adventure throughout the world as I discover immigrants' stories, learn about new cultures, and together we find new ways to help immigrants unlock their potential. Welcome to the Immigrant Squared podcast. Today we have the pleasure of talking to Amina and Ekaterina from United Stateless. They're going to talk a little bit about themselves, their stories coming to the U.S., and the organization United Stateless. What does it mean to be stateless? What are some of the difficulties that stateless people experience? What are the hopes and positive developments that have been happening recently? And what can all of us do to help? Amina, Ekaterina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Anna. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Anna. Can you start uh, by introducing yourself, uh, telling us a little bit about your story coming to the United States? Sure. Um, I guess I'll jump in. Uh, my name is Ikaterina. I am a stateless person, um, co-founder of United Stateless and a board member. Um, well, my story begins back in the um, mid-90s. Um, I came to the United States during the fall of the Soviet Union uh, as a high school exchange student. Um, now, this was just months after my 15th birthday. I came from Soviet Central Asia. Now, my family, uh, they belong to an ethnic minority. And at the time, the upheaval and chaos that was sweeping through the region um, was definitely affecting them. And they were very much afraid for their lives. They weren't sure what they're going to do, what they're going to, if they're staying or going, if they're fleeing. I was studying in the U.S. at the time. Um, and they insisted that I try to continue my education in the United States while they figure out what the next steps are for the family. And uh, my country, the Soviet Union, fell apart. And in the process, my nationality was lost. Believe it or not, nationality is something that can, in fact, be lost. Now, most people don't realize this, but this is what happened. And this was a key moment in my story because... I actually at the time did not even know that nationality can be lost. And when it happened, it, it just something that occurred that later became apparent. Um, so over the years, as I tried to regular regularize my status here in the U.S., I wasn't able to do so. Um, now, statelessness, which is lack of nationality or citizenship anywhere in the world, precludes an individual, right? from being able to solve their immigration status easily, especially here in the United States, a country where um, there are no protections or laws for stateless people. And this is something that is reflected in so many stories of stateless folks that are now starting to come out of the shadows and tell their story. In my case, um, I, um, I have been a taxpayer in the United States for more than 20 years. I have been married to a U.S. citizen before for nearly that long, right? And during that time, I've won national awards as an artist and illustrator here in the United States. I volunteered uh, with the community. I have contributed to this country in so many different ways, yet 
by virtue of being stateless, I have been unable to attain, um, I mean, I've been unable to attain my legal status or leave the United States, right, to um, to seek solutions elsewhere because statelessness precludes you from traveling. Um, and most recently, and this is something that just occurred, this is like fresh, right, um, it's kind of a very bittersweet moment where statelessness once again rears its head. In my personal story, I just got remarried two weeks ago. So it's kind of this beautiful thing, right? Congratulations. My husband and I, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, my husband and I, we uh, we worked tirelessly for uh, over a year prior to, um, to the wedding to try to realize a, a lifelong dream to bring my mom here for um, for the celebration, basically. We, um, I mean, I haven't seen my any of my family since 94. That is uh, close to 30 years. Uh, my mom has struggled with health issues for many years, which precluded her from traveling for, for a very long time. And for me, statelessness, of course, is a barrier because stateless people cannot travel internationally. Uh, we had everything ready for her. We um, it took to come and stay with us for a month. Yeah, my God, this is like the big reunion, right? I had her plane tickets booked, her room ready. Now, my mom is a citizen. However, her travel visa was denied because of my lack of status here in the United States. And this is heartbreaking on so many levels, right? And it's funny it's like telling the story now like I've, I've i've now repeated it so many times and it was just yeah it's like going back to, to that moment when i heard when she called me from the taxi cab after being at the you know being turned away at the embassy basically um this really shows how without laws and definitions within the system the fate of an individual human being literally hangs in the balance something like someone like my mom can be there at the plexiglass window with a story to tell of a 30 year long separation, right? A simple human request to see her daughter. Yeah. Ex- like this is, an, this is an experience in human dignity that should be afforded to an individual. But then there's an arbitrary denial because, because there isn't just a lack of an understanding or empathy, but the system simply is missing a mechanism. And it's not designed for human beings like myself or my mom, who's a citizen, by the way, right? Yeah. I mean, it's still affected by statelessness because I am her daughter and I'm stateless. I, I'm going to pause right here and allow Anina uh, to to tell her story, introduce herself. Yeah, thank you, Katarina. We'll definitely have more uh, follow-up questions, but uh, Amina, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to the United States? Thank you, Katerina, and thank you, Anna. Well, actually, my story sort of mirrors, but it is in reverse of um, ECAT's story. So I am a U.S. citizen of the United States. I was born in the U.S. in um, in the 80s and I was raised I was born in Philadelphia Pennsylvania and I was raised in LA and actually I moved back to a Middle Eastern country Saudi Arabia with my parents when I was about 13 years old and um, I had my child in about 2011 so he was born in Saudi 
And it was unfathomable to me and it was shocking that I could not pass my citizenship to my child due to several reasons. One of them was gender discrimination and also because of that, uh, gaps in U.S. laws. My child ended up stateless and it was a really long journey. It was about a, a nine-year journey to get any type of documentation for him or um, any any type of recognition for this human being. Uh, eventually, we left and we traveled to the U.S. in during COVID in 2020, and he is um, a U.S. citizen now. But I can understand the continuous worry as a mother. Um, and also the, the continuous fear of the unknown that your mother, Ekaterina, um, is going through because this is an inhumane situation where um, you do not know or recognize what will happen to this child or what, what is their future looking like because statelessness is a, is a... Also, it's not just that you are stateless and you cannot travel. Now this child does not have any access to healthcare. They don't have access to um, basic human rights. Um, thank you, and I will pass it back to Ekaterina. Thank you, Amina, yes, and thank you, Amina and Ekaterina, for sharing your stories. I think a lot of people don't even know what does it mean to be stateless, and it's really hard to understand and grasp this whole concept of how a child that was born to a mother who is a U.S. citizen cannot get a citizenship or how someone who has been here for so many years and has been living and working and married to a U.S. citizen and still cannot get a, a status. And on top of that, because of lack of status, not allowing another relative to visit, I think that's even worse, and I absolutely agree on the matters of how it affects just the basic, you know, human needs and, and dignity. Um, so you are very, both very active um, in the organization that you co-founded, Katarina United Stateless. Can you talk a little bit about United Stateless? What does the organization do? Sure. Um, thank you, Anna. Um, yeah, so USL, United Stateless, uh, we are a nonprofit organization that was um, co-founded um, by myself and six other stateless individuals and several non-stateless allies back in 2017 under the auspices of UNHCR. This was um, something that first started as a conversation online between myself and others who were stateless trying to figure out what is happening to us, why is this happening, and seeing very few resources or um, sources of information, especially in the context of the United States, we saw this dire need to organize, and um, luckily it was recognized by, by the regional office, the UNHCR office in D.C., who brought us together and sort of launched this project. And um, you, USL, um, we have several key areas of focus. Um, community building is um, the root and foundation of our project. This is especially important 
when you consider that stateless people are so severely marginalized and, you know, U.S. lacks um, framework for addressing statelessness. Um, over time, we have also developed an intake process for helping stateless people who do reach out to us. And this is starting to happen more and more, which is extremely exciting, but also necessitates you know, building capacity and developing resources. But um, helping stateless people connect with with resources or legal help on social and psychosocial support. This is the result of United Stateless developing partnerships with organizations such as UNHCR, HIAS, um, Center for Victims of Torture, and um, many others. Um, and in parallel, most importantly, we are here to raise awareness. Like you said, Anna, statelessness is a very unknown issue to so many people. And of our society, I mean, the general public, policy and lawmakers, the legal community. This is an issue that is underreported and under-recognized. And we are sounding the alarm bell. So when statelessness shows up on the radar, right, it is an urgent indicator that the human rights framework is failing in the most severe way possible. It's leaving people outside the system, not even on the margins, right, but entirely outside the margins. So why is this? First of all, if we look at stateless, what statelessness actually is, right, it is a condition that affects some human beings globally around 15 million. Locally here in the U.S., we're talking upward of 200,000. It's a condition where an individual, usually, right, in fact, in nearly almost every case, through no fault of their own, is left without a nationality. And, you know, some individuals are born into statelessness, some become stateless as a result of war, genocide, um, some fall through the cracks when a one country ceases to exist and is replaced by another. And this is something that actually happens to people. And if you trace these events back to their roots, you will almost invariably find that they are a result of this or other discriminatory action. You know, in my case, my family was facing ethnic discrimination. In Amina's case, we have gender discrimination that's playing a key role, right? G discrimination is based on ethnicity, race, gender, religion, either directly affects people or um, causes, you know, causes a denationalization um, or indirectly creates conditions that prevent these individuals from obtaining nationality. And the world in which we live is based, is built in such a way where access to most fundamental rights depends on a person having their nationality. Yeah. yeah. That is, uh, thank you so much for the overview for those who are, um, maybe were not aware of what is statelessness and all the difficulties that you mentioned that stateless people and their relatives face. But despite all the difficulties, is there anything that is giving you hope? Are there any positive developments? Um, yeah, I mean, this is, thank you for this question. Um, well, through what gives me, what, what, what gives me hope? What gives me personally hope is that we have made huge progress since the beginning of this advocacy effort. You know, this effort that began with a push from UNHCR back in 2012 and really took off with, you know, through the collaborative 
effort by stateless um, individuals and our allies. Um, I am just so happy to say that we are seeing growing support from U.S. government. Um, there's actually a real opportunity unfolding right now in the United States to address statelessness. So Representative Jamie Raskin and Senator Ben Cardin introduced into Congress last year the Stateless Protection Act and are reintroducing it right now. Again, um, in fact, um, there's this fantastic webinar only last week that took place that members of the United States were part of with participation from both um, Jamie Raskin and Ben Cardin. And I can totally send you a link to this after. after yeah, that'll be awesome. I will yeah. link it in the podcast notes. Yeah, absolutely. So Stateless Protection Act is a standalone bill that would accomplish something truly monumental. First of all, it will establish definition of statelessness within U.S. law. Uh, we'll bring our legal framework into alignment with international human rights standards. And this is key. Outlines protections, it closes gaps that exist, which allow for arbitrary violations against human dignity for those of us currently living with statelessness in the United States. And finally, uh, most importantly, it will create a pathway through this very complicated landscape of pitfalls and gaps for uh, stateless people to obtain legal permanent residency and ultimately nationality. That is um, really so this great. Is, this is Thank you, thank you. And then um, additionally, this this is hot off the press. This is an incredible piece of news that I'm about to share. Um, literally, while preparing for this podcast, I opened my phone and saw an announcement about this. This is just today. Um, USCIS has made an announcement. This is after a year of waiting, because last year, or in 2020, in December, they made an, they, they, they committed to, to stepping up um, to the table and addressing statelessness through, you know, administrative. Um, um, oh my God, okay, <laughs> sorry. I just, like, brain just blanked out because I'm so excited. Um, so USA, USCIS is finally coming through with uh, something that we've been waiting for for over a year. They just announced that they are releasing um, regulatory guidelines that will define statelessness clearly. This is a huge win because it complements legislative solutions that hopefully when, you know, if or rather when the Stateless Protection Act passes, they will work in tandem. Um, to address statelessness here, but the the this new regulatory process that USCIS is uh, introducing will um, with, with this in place, they will be able to train staff to better identify statelessness, and uh, they will be using uh, positive. They they will be seeing statelessness as a positive discretionary factor when looking at individuals' cases, which is really big. And this is this is such a it's such a, it's like a burden lifting off of so many people because living in constant fear of detention, having to do regular ICE check-ins, having to constantly worry about you just having your life, your case be treated, you know, with this kind of arbitrary, in, in this arbitrary way, it's just, it's, it's, it, this is a huge relief. So we're really excited. That's awesome. I'm um, very excited to hear this good news. Amina, what gives um, you hope uh, about statelessness? 
Um, well, I would like to add to what Katerina said, and um, uh, in statelessness, in most cases, uh, it is the case that minority, minorities make up a large portion of the world's uh, stateless uh, population, but also equally gaps in the legal framework can leave individuals at risk of statelessness within uh, the majority groups, uh, especially like in my case, children born abroad or a foreign um, uh, or to a foreign parent. But what gives me hope is that there is a new approach announced by the Department of, of State's Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration, and it is to address the impacts of climate change on migration and displacement. Um, and although it does not address statelessness as a standalone issue, the approach does emphasize on the importance of data collection, research, and analysis to better understand the challenges um, faced by vulnerable populations, which include stateless individuals. So some potential implications are protection, community engagement and partnership, coordination and inclusion, and also investing in research and data collection. And this might provide a more comprehensive estimate for stateless population and, better, and a better understanding of uh, the extent and nature of statelessness. Overall, the new approach does aim to provide support and protection to vulnerable populations, including stateless individuals who are impacted by climate change and being a person that works on environmental justice. I think this is a really big um, win for the stateless community. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for mentioning that. I think a lot of people don't know that you can become stateless because of climate change and environmental issues. And I think that's really important to bring awareness to. So with all these developments and good news, uh, what can be done? How can people help to bring awareness and, and help this cause? Uh, thank you. Um, uh, first of all, I would say learn about statelessness as much as you can. Um, visit unitedstateless.org, reach out to us, um, keep your eyes open for the new documentary on statelessness, which uh, we have been working on and are in the process of releasing. Uh, support Stateless Protection Act. Um, if you can reach out to your congressional representatives or elected officials, we strongly encourage you to do that. Um, this is something that is in the works right now. The irons are in the fire, right? So this is the time to um, to make a difference. And of course, um, if if you are stateless or you think you might be stateless, please get in touch with United Stateless. You are not alone. There's a community that's growing. There's a there's a there's a there's a collaborative collective effort to address this issue. And uh, now is the time. And I just want to thank you, Anna, for giving us this opportunity. I think that giving a give, giving an opportunity to impacted by statelessness voices to be able to speak to the issue is a huge huge step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. So we thank you for, this. for sharing your stories and thank you for sharing um, all the developments and good news. And I hope we will get a lot more good news. And I'll definitely link the um, information for United Stateless and the notes of the podcast. Is there anything, any last thoughts that you'd like to share? I'm just excited to be here and um, and 
yeah, to speak to the to this issue. Amina, thank you. Thank you, Anna. I really appreciate um, you giving us the opportunity to raise awareness and advocate for this cause. Thank you. Thank you both for joining the podcast. Excellent. All right, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to episode 57 of the Immigrant Squared podcast. Please check out the podcast notes for more information about recent developments with statelessness policy in the United States, how climate change impacts displacement migration and causes statelessness, and the recent webinar that Ekaterina mentioned with Congress members. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Until next time.